This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. Turn with me, please, to the book of Psalms, Psalm 32. Psalm 32. I'm going to get you to Psalm 32, but I'm not going to start at Psalm 32. I told you this whole idea of freedom and worship is where my heart's been really all week. I was trying to grab this whole thought process and the heart of God and the fact that we are free to worship. I don't think there's any better example of that than David. And so we're going to get there in just a moment. First, I want to read you a verse out of Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, it's there on your screen, maybe, hopefully. I don't know if not. It's my fault. Hey, bless the Lord. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. There's so much cram packed into that verse that I don't intend to unpack, but it's so powerful. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, in case you didn't know, you're free. So now because you're free, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. My title today, if there is, would be a title to put on this, would be, If It Wasn't For Freedom. If It Wasn't For Freedom. Now, I have no intention of tying this together with Independence Day. That's not the goal. It's just a freedom theme today. Figure we might as well celebrate freedom, but I'm bigger than the freedom that we have in this country. I want to celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ. Amen. Uh, if I didn't live in the United States of America and I didn't have the freedom and the privileges that I do, I would still have freedom in Christ. You with me? You know the story, maybe, in Second Samuel chapter 11 and 12. David was king of Israel. And he um, did not make the greatest choices and decisions. In the springtime when kings should have been off at war with their people, David stayed back and sent his men on. And they're fighting the battle and uh, they just had a victory and, and David is taking a walk and as he's walking around, he looks at his next door neighbor's house and he sees the girl next door and she's there bathing. That would be Bathsheba. I think it's interesting that she was bathing and her name is Bathsheba. And it's always been interesting to me. She's bathing and she's beautiful and David's attracted to her and in his moment of weakness or maybe I don't know if it's a moment or maybe it's a lifelong struggle and he finally gives way. I don't really know what it's really like if you've lived in any kind of sin at all and you've battled any kind of struggle. You know that it's not typically just a one-time incident. I don't believe David acted on a one-time moment when he sent for Bathsheba, I believe it was probably something that had been bothering him. It was something that the devil had been tormenting him with. And finally, he broke. 
And he sends his servants. He says, hey, there's this beautiful lady next door. I want to talk to her, go get her, bring her over. He brings her over, and they have relations. And uh, she ends up going back home, and she sends word. She said, hey, I'm pregnant. David, I can't imagine what really he's thinking because here he slept with this married woman, and now that he slept with her, she's pregnant. That means there's going to be this uh, consequence to this action, if you will, and uh, he, he's struggling. And, and in that moment of desperation, he's trying everything he can to cover up the problem. And so he sends out for Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, and he, he says, hey, maybe if I can get her to come in, or maybe if I can get Uriah to come in and, and bring him home and give him this little uh, vacation, if you will, from the, the battlefield, maybe he'll go in and, and he'll sleep with his wife, and then it can be manipulated, and he can think it's his kid instead of my kid, and David's finagled all this great scheme and this great plan, and he sends for Uriah, but Uriah is so loyal to David. And he's so loyal to his brothers in arms that he will not go in his house and enjoy a night with his wife. Rather, he sleeps outside. And David thinks, man, how did this happen? What in the world? Why will Uriah not go in? And so David's like, I got to come up with another plan. So he sends Uriah back out to the battlefield. And when Uriah gets back to the battlefield, he says, hey, put Uriah on the front lines. Basically, the king is committing murder. He knows that if he puts Uriah on the front line where men are dying, it's a pretty good chance that Uriah is going to die. When Uriah dies, he don't have to deal with the problem because the problem just all of a sudden goes away, right? That's not the way this works. The problem does go away there in the flesh. It goes away in the temporal, right? We've talked about this from the beginning of the year, the seen versus the unseen. In, in the scene, in the seen realm, and what they're actually walking through, David thinks he's finally gone to the, the ultimate extreme to get rid of his mistake, to get rid of his problem. He brings Bathsheba in, he marries her, he has, a wife, he has her as a wife, and then she gives him the son. All is fine and well, in everybody else's eyes. But your Bible says that the Lord was not pleased with David. The Lord was not pleased with what had taken place. <clears throat> so the Lord sends Nathan, the prophet, to talk to David. And he says, hey, um, it basically gives him this illustration, this story of a man having sheep and this man who's got all the sheep in the world here in town and the man's got only one lamb for his household. What if the man that's got all the ones he could ever want goes and takes the one from the family and leaves them blind? And David says, well, that man should be dead. And Nathan said, that's you, buddy. You just did that. You took what was not yours. David repents. That's in Psalm 51. David repents, he is repentive, he's praying. The son's born, well, the son gets sick because God said, out of this mistake, there's got to be some consequence. Read it. It says that the son, God, God wasn't pleased and God had to, to bring down the sickness on this kid. The kid gets sick. David's fasting and praying. Here's a man that not very long ago, not many months ago, brought in this boy's mama off the rooftops to have an affair with her. And now we're talking about a man that's got enough heart after God to fast and pray. 
Fasting and praying over this boy, God, heal my son, heal my, heal my boy, heal my son. And finally, everybody's like, I don't even have the heart to tell him that his boy's dead. I can't even go to him and, and tell him he's dead. Well, how is David even going to react? And finally, David, he's perceived that the boy is now dead. He said, hey, is my son dead? And they say, yeah, he's dead. He mourns, he's grieved. And from that point on, it's behind him. What's amazing is this wife, no matter how he got her, right after that in chapter 12 says that he slept with her, she conceived, and she bore him a son named Solomon. Solomon to be the wisest man that would ever live. Nobody wiser. God said there'll never be anybody as wise as you, Solomon. Solomon is the man that built the temple that would house God. I talked about a couple weeks back. It was in my heart, but it wasn't for me. Solomon was the one that had to complete David's project, David's vision, his dream. But you mean God used that messed up situation? God used the one that, that made uh, that David's fall was consumed with? God used that situation to bring forth a man that would do these amazing... You read Proverbs. They're the Proverbs of Solomon. You read Ecclesiastes. It's the wisdom of Solomon. That man came out of David's mistake. And if David could be free to worship... What in the world's wrong with us? Psalm 32. Now we're getting there. Is where the Lord really led me for today. If you see my Bible, I've got all kind of blocks and lines and all kind of stuff drawn. It looks like a road map. Because I've ripped this psalm apart. I believe there's really six truths, if you will, that David is showing us in this psalm. But although there's six, don't miss the main point. It all points back to freedom. It all points back that through all of the mistake and failure, through all that David went through, through all David did, he was still free to worship. Psalm 32, I'm going to read the entire psalm to you, and then I'll break it down. So just hang with me. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible. It says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body was wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of the sun. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found surely in a flood of great waters. They will not reach him. You're my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. 
Do not be as a horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include a bit and a bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. It's amazing to kind of read that after the story that we just walked through in David's life. When I think of what David had to have gone through, all the different emotions, the guilt. Now we're talking about guilt not only of of the affair. We're talking about the guilt of murder. We're talking about the guilt of he's brought a kid into the world, but because of his mess up, because of his failure, the kid's now dead, right? All of that, yet he still can say, the Lord forgave the guilt of sin. That's powerful to me. That's strong. So let's look through this in some major parts, some major breaks downs. Verse 1 and 2. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit, in whose spirit there is no deceit. How blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. I don't know how really to explain what works in my mind, but I read this from two different sides, and we can say, well, the man's blessed because his sin was forgiven, or we can say, no, how blessed really is the man whose sin is forgiven. I think we've forgotten sometimes how blessed we really are. I think we've forgotten that we should have been cursed and damned to hell, if you will, because of our sin and our transgression. We've forgotten how blessed we really are simply because our sin is forgiven and our sin is covered. You with me? David, I think, is not just trying to say, hey, that man's blessed because his sin is forgiven. No, he's saying, don't forget who you were. Don't forget the mess up. I recognize what my past looks like. I recognize I use my authority as King David to, to bring in this woman, and I use my authority to murder this man. How blessed am I that my transgression is forgiven? I've got to shout. I've got to worship. I've got to do what I've got to do because I'm blessed because my sin is covered. I think this truth for me when I read this is jumping out off the page. Don't forget what you did. Don't forget what it is that you're, you've been covered from. The guilt is gone. He said, I've been forgiven from the guilt of sin. I'm not talking about wallowing in the guilt and shame. I'm talking about realizing the fact we are blessed. If God never does another thing for me ever whatsoever, the fact that I'm saved from hell and my sin is covered, I am blessed. Amen? David said, don't forget how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. And then he says in that second verse, how blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. I, there's some, that's kind of wordy to say, blessed is he who the Lord don't count his sin against him. The, the New Living Translation, I think, is the one that reads that way. And I thought, man, how awesome is that? That the Lord's not counting my sin against me. I've been forgiven. It's in the past. It's gone. Could God remember it? Absolutely. Does he remember it? I believe he chooses not to. 
We love the idea of forgive and forget that God forgives and forgets. I don't believe God has the, the, the God can do what he wants to. He's God. But if he's all knowing, how does he forget? The word says he forgives and remembers not. He chooses to remember. You with me? He chooses not to remember my sin. He chooses to not let my sin count against me. And I can't forget how blessed I am for that. Paul referenced these verses. In Romans chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, it says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. I love the fact, I love any time we see in the New Testament, we go back and find where the Old Testament's quoted. Paul understood. I don't know what Paul's thing was. I know he killed a bunch of Christians. He was persecuting Christians. And he had this hatred in his heart. And now he's got an understanding. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiving and whose sin is covered. Family, we're blessed if we're forgiven. David's began this psalm by letting us know that we cannot forget how blessed we really are. The second truth is found in verses 3 and 4. It says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body was wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever of heat of summer. There's the literal translation that I think is great. So I want to read this to you where it says my vitality. The literal translation is my life juices were turned into the drought of summer. And that sounds, all I can think about is bug juice. I don't know why. My life juices were turned into the drought of summer. I get why they changed it to vitality. But the fact is, David's saying, I was shriveled up. It was like the sun has scorched everything out of me. There was nothing left. The truth here for me is he's saying conviction is real. Conviction is a thing. Can you imagine we feel like sometimes we've got the weight of the world on our shoulders? We're trying to handle this and that. We've got all these problems and we're, we're raising kids or you're checking on grandkids or you've already raised kids. I don't know. I just think kids are heavy. Um, it's okay. Nobody else. The weight of the world is nothing compared to the hand of God pressing down day and night. As, as, as rough as conviction is, Conviction is the alarm going off inside of our spirit saying something's not right. Something's got to change. Something is, is out of line. And, and he's teaching us that uh, in that darkness, he was keeping the sin to himself. His physical body was wasting away physically. He was down. He was out. If you've ever lived in that place where you've had sin that you're hiding from everybody, you understand that physically... Physically, you're sick. It'll drive you crazy. And David's explaining that in this season, when I kept silent, my body's wasted away. 
The great thing about all of this, though, is that as real and powerful as conviction is, it is God's way of of attempting to direct us to freedom, which we were already told comes with this blessed life. How blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. The blessed life is the forgiven life. Conviction is heavy. The other thought in this, he said, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. I've preached it over and over. James chapter 5 says, confess one to another that you might be healed. The most life-giving breath of air that could ever be taken is when you look at a brother or sister and you say, I'm struggling with this. I've messed up. I need forgiveness. Can you help me walk through this? Conviction is powerful, but it leads to freedom. The third portion of this is in chapter in verse 5. It says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said I will confess my sin, uh, my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. First of all, we have to acknowledge sin. And it doesn't matter how perfect we are. It doesn't matter how long we have been uh, in, in a relationship with Jesus, it don't matter how many times, how many years we've come and sat on the pews of a church. John said, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. At no point in our life are we above sin. Can we escape from it? Yeah, no question. Can we move beyond temptation? Yes, no question. But are we going to fall every now and then? Absolutely. Are we going to say things that we don't need to say? If you're me, you do. Never is there a place that we're above sin. He said, I acknowledged my sin to you. You forgave me. I thought about Romans when Paul understood this whole thought process. He said, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. It's all about the acknowledgement, confessing and believing. John understood in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's possible to forget that we need forgiveness. And if we live with sin long enough, it's easy to forget that God forgives sin. And David said, when I finally opened my mouth, when I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord, you forgave the guilt of my sin. I don't know about you. I had an incident that happened a couple weeks back at youth camp. I was just really picking on this dude hard. It wasn't anything that I felt like was out of the way. It was, man, your room was nasty today. And it was, it was all joking. We have a relationship that it should have been okay. But I pushed harder than I should have pushed. I have no problem saying I'm sorry. 
as soon as I knew what I had done, I felt it. Nobody had to look at me and tell me. Micah looked at me. She didn't say anything. I said, I know. I just messed up. And I walked out the door and found him. And we sat and talked for almost an hour. What happened probably was not as big of a deal to him as it was to me. It was. It hurt him. It embarrassed him. But I carried the guilt for a day and a half. Even after I apologized. I woke up the next morning in a funk. I, I was mad at the world. It was the guilt that bothered me. I had apologized. I made up. We talked about things that we would have never talked about otherwise. I know things he's going through in his life that he would have never opened up and told me. He knows things I'm going through that I'd have never opened up and told him because of the apology conversation sitting on the curb in the middle of the parking lot where we're just pouring out our heart to each other. We had a moment of restoration. But even after the restoration, even after the repentance, even after my apology, the next day I was mad at the world because I was carrying the guilt. I know better. I should know better. And so this whole thought process for me, maybe it's not a big deal to you, but it's huge to me to know that it's not just that you forgave my sin, but you forgave the guilt of my sin. You allow me, God, to put sin behind me. The, the, the forgiveness is now past. The, the repentance is now behind me. But not only is repentance behind me, but I can walk in this free life, in this blessed life, because you've now actually forgiven the guilt of my sin. That's powerful for me because I'm the one that I carried around a day and a half, a month later, wallowing in my own mess because I've messed up. And he said, I asked for your forgiveness. And not only did you forgive my sin, you forgave the guilt. I'm thankful today that the Lord forgives the guilt of sin. I really didn't think I had a sore throat. I thought I had got over all my yelling at youth camp this past week until I got up here to try to preach. The next truth is found in verses 6 and 7. It says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. I love, you got to grab this, this sentence right here because this is kind of weird. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. Do you understand what it's saying? Let's break it down. Surely in a flood of great waters, it will not reach him. The one whose prayer touches heaven, the one who's faithful crying out, Lord, he said, you who are godly, pray in the time when he hears you. And although the waters rise all around you, Although everything else may be underwater, the water won't reach you. Our Spanish pastor, Sister Vicky, was telling me last Sunday, we were standing here having a conversation, and she was talking about the last hurricane that we had that came through. God showed her, uh, she had a dream, and she saw lots and lots and lots of water, and she saw her in her house. And she began to pray and ask God, you know, what does this mean? What does this mean? Well, then a hurricane shows up. 
And she understood what was going on. And she said, God, what do you want from me? Do I, everybody's telling her, leave your house, leave your house, leave your house. She said, God, I want to do what you want me to do. And God says, stay right here. She said, Pastor, water was everywhere, all around me. She said, my house, she said, should have been underwater, but no water even came to my house. It didn't even touch my house. Because you who are godly pray in a season when he's listening, when he hears you, and surely the great waters, the flood waters are going to rise. But when we're praying, when we're in this communication, when we're faithful, when we're, we're under God's protection, even though the waters rise, they don't have to touch us. God's provision is huge. He says in verse 7, you're my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. With the forgiveness and the blessed life comes protection. David said, you're my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. I love this idea of God surrounding me with songs of deliverance. Amen? The more literal translation is shouts of deliverance. Which makes me get chill bumps because when God opened his mouth and spoke, light became a thing. Right? When he opened his mouth and spoke, the water divided and there was land. When he opened his mouth and spoke, all of a sudden there's fish swimming in the ocean and birds are flying. When he opened his mouth and spoke... There's land animals. When he opened his mouth and spoke, I skipped it. It was earlier, but he, the stars and the moon were all created. So if God could open his mouth and speak and say, let there be light and there is light, then what actually happens when God shouts, shouts of deliverance over my life and those shouts are surrounding me? You with me? If he can speak into existence everything we know and see, if he opens his mouth and just speaks the word, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, then the beginning was the word. The word, and I'm not just talking about words, I'm talking about shouts of deliverance to know the power that's in God's voice and the power that's in his words, and he's shouting songs of deliverance around me. There's no better protection or provision. David teaches us in verse 8 and 9. It actually switches gears. And David begins to speak for God in this moment. He says, I'll instruct you and teach you in the way of which you should go. I'll counsel you with my eye upon you. I know it's God speaking. The M is capitalized. Do not be as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose trappings include a bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise... They will not come near to you. I don't have much more sense than a mule most days. I mean, I'm just being real. On my own, I'm pretty dumb. I make some pretty dumb choices. Micah often has to be a bit or bridle. I'm just kidding. Keep me in check. All it takes is that look like it did that day. I said, I know, I messed up. Here's the other thought, is that with forgiveness and a blessed life comes understanding. Not only understanding, but God says when, how David started this whole thing off, don't forget, 
where we, where we started. How blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven? How blessed is he whose sin is covered? And because you've been forgiven, because your transgression has been forgiven, now you have the instruction of the Lord. You've got the counsel of the Lord. I've got somebody watching out for me all the time. I, I like to watch some of those military shows sometimes, and if you ever have watched those, there's always the eye in the sky, if you will. There's always an infrared. There's some kind of drone somewhere giving direction, and the guy's on the ground, uh, and I have this might be real. I don't know what really takes place in the military. I've not been there. I'm just telling you what I've seen, okay? The drone's way up high, and these guys are down on the ground, and they've got somebody in their ear. Hey, you got three guys right to your left. What do you mean? And, like, they're around the corner. There's no way they would ever know. Had somebody not be watching from above giving instruction, that's a whole lot more powerful than a TV show. Because because I'm forgiven, because I live this blessed life, because he is my hiding place, because he is the protector and the provider, there's an eye in the sky, the eye in the sky, that's watching down and giving directions in every situation, every circumstance of life. There have been people in my life where there was something that just didn't sit quite right, just didn't feel quite right, and I just knew I needed to keep a distance from that person. That was the eye in the sky, God sending the, the message through the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you need to keep your distance. That person's not healthy for you. Come to find out later, I understand why. David said, if you're paying attention, if you're listening, if you're living the blessed life, God is there to counsel and instruct and guide every part of your life. He's trying to teach us that although sometimes I am as stubborn, as dumb as a mule, I don't have to be senseless. But instead I could have understanding. So often that we forget where that comes from, where that understanding comes from, where the direction comes from. When we're asking, when we're seeking and knocking, the answer comes. This last truth that David's teaching in this psalm Found in verses 10 and 11. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Let's just stop there first, then we'll go to verse 11. David says, yes, there's so much sorrow for the wicked, for those who haven't chose to confess or follow God. He said, I understand because my life literally was shriveled up like a raisin. There was no life left in me. The weight of the world, and it wasn't really the world, it was the weight of God's hand was pressing on me so hard, I didn't even know how to act. How did he respond? He didn't respond by confession. He responded by sending the husband of the poor woman out. He responded by sending him into the lines of fire so that he'd be killed. He was responding to the pressure, the conviction, his mistakes. God was pushing and trying to bring the conviction back and, and trying to sound that alarm. This man, this is David, a man after God's heart. 
who was just praying and fasting for a son that was dying, believing that the man was going to be raised, that the son was going to be raised from through his prayer and fasting. This is that guy. He said, there are sorrows. There's no question. You choose to be where you are. You choose to stay in your mess. There's going to be many sorrows. But he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. So now not only do we have the shouts of deliverance, the protection, but now we've got a loving kindness, a mercy surrounding us. That means when I step out of line this way, God's loving kindness and grace and mercy is there. That means when I step out of line this way, that means God's loving kindness and grace and mercy is there. When I rise up to a place and when I, when I'm, when I, I don't have to go down, let's not always bring this down. Whenever I step up to this new place and I reach this new place in my relationship with the Lord, when I'm closer to him than I've ever been, his loving kindness is right there. It's surrounding me. I see it like a, a big bubble. Took some kids to Pigeon Forge some years back, and we got in these things. Absorbing, uh, I think was what they called it. You get in this huge, gigantic, inflatable ball with a little bit of water, and they push you down a hill. Why anybody would do that? It was great. I don't know that I'd ever do it again. Like you're in a big washing machine. But it didn't matter about the rocks or the sticks, even the, the logs that you had to cross to get down the hill. You know why none of that mattered? Because I was surrounded by that big old inflatable bubble that could not be, without something major, it couldn't be punctured. As long as things were the way they were supposed to be, as long as it was cared for, <laughs> it just keeps getting better. As long as that, that big Zorb was cared for, as long as it was taken care of, as long as it had the right amount of air in it, as long as it hadn't dry rotted, as long as it was taken care of, loving kindness is there just like that Zorb was there. The as long as our relationship with Jesus is, is nurtured and as long as it's cared for, as long as we're in the relationship we ain't gotta oil it down and, and we gotta do all that all we gotta do is maintain he said let the godly pray in the seasons that he's listening that's all the instruction we have confess when I confess you forgive me not only my sin but the guilt of sin he said but those who trust in the Lord his loving kindness surrounds him after all David's been through, after all David's walked through, bigger mistakes that some of us will or have ever made. Some of us have made mistakes that are comparable. Even through all that, he uses this psalm to teach, direct, and guide, hey, you can be one messed up joker like I am. You can have gone through some junk. And all it is is realizing, first of all, the conviction's real. You asked forgiveness. He said, I asked for, I confessed. The Lord forgave the sin. He forgave my guilt. And now I'm living the blessed life. How blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. And then David says, after all of this, and you just let me put me a couple words in if you don't mind. I'm going to read a scripture. 
and I'm going to add a little bit of Mitchellisms. He said, even through all this, even when you've walked through everything you've walked through, because you're living your blessed life, there's a freedom for you to be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. And you should be free to shout for joy, all of you who are upright in heart. process with a charge to worship Paul said it was for freedom that Christ set us free therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery and David responded with be glad in the Lord and rejoice you righteous ones shout for joy all you who are right in heart that's how I think the conversation would go between Paul and David I think they were sitting on the stage today and Paul's saying hey you are in a really really bad place you were hiding your sin it was covered up you felt like life had been sucked out of you confess it Get forgiveness, deal with the grief, deal with the loss, because there's going to be loss. Sin brings death. There's no way around it. We can't pretend like it's not there. David lost the son that was born out of his sin. Once he's moved past it, once the death has taken place, a son is born that would step into his place, take the throne, build the temple be full of wisdom David said yeah I messed up this is the way you deal with this but Paul said there's freedom in Christ and it's so that you can have freedom that you've been set free it's not so that you can walk around with your head hang down and, and, and wallowing it is for freedom that you've been set free Freedom what? Freedom for what? What kind of freedom? Paul, what are you talking about? David's like, I got to answer this question. Let me answer it. Let me answer it. Freedom for you to be joyful, to be glad, to walk around with shouts of joy. That's what the freedom's for. It's for the freedom to worship that you've been set free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. If it wasn't for freedom, I couldn't be free to worship. Would you stand with me? If you're in the house today, Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you listen to this down the road. If you're not living the blessed life today, you can be. Why is it that I need my sin and my transgression to be forgiven and covered? Because God's got something so much better for me than that thing I'm hanging on to. 
It's a blessed life. How blessed is the man? I couldn't read this in the New Living Translation. You know I love that translation. I couldn't read it because it just said, Oh, what joy for the man whose sin's forgiven. It's not just joy. It's a blessed life. God's pouring out his blessings on those that their sin's been forgiven. Their sin's been covered. And we can't forget. It's not just joy. There's so much the fullness of God that comes with that whole idea. If it wasn't for freedom, I couldn't be here today. If it wasn't for freedom, I couldn't worship. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that in a moment. Maybe this has all been this whole conversation. Something's just opened your eyes and you realize you want to live that blessed life. I want to give you that opportunity in a moment. Maybe, maybe you're there. Maybe you have been living this relationship with Jesus, but yet there's still something in your life that, as David said, you're hiding it. You kept silent about it. And you feel like your body's wasting away. You feel like your life juices are sucked out of you. Today can be a different day. You can live in freedom. God wants the blessed life for us. Hang on one second. pray with me. Father, I love you. God, I thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, Lord, for the shouts of deliverance that are being yelled out around me. Father, for the loving kindness that's surrounding me. God, I thank you for freedom today, for forgiveness today, not only of my sin, but of my guilt, my shame. Lord, I thank you that I can live a blessed life. Father, if if there are those in the room today who are not living this life that's blessed by you because their sin is covered, their their sin's forgiven. God, it's the best life. (laughs) The blessed life is the best life. Father, touch their hearts today. Let them realize how real you are. Maybe they're watching online. Maybe they're riding down the road. Touch their hearts. Maybe there's somebody in the room today, God, that looks like they've got it all together. They look like probably King David looked. God, but in reality, they're doing everything they can to cover up sin. They're struggling. God, the weight that they're feeling even in this moment is conviction. And it's not to hurt them. It's not to push them away. But it's just to sound an alarm to push them toward freedom here today and you don't know Jesus you not had a relationship with Jesus your sin's not covered all I want to do is lead you in a prayer that's you today you'd be willing to say hey I want to know Jesus today nobody looking around just slip up your hand I'll pray this prayer to repeat after me Jesus I want to live my best life which is the blessed life I'm a sinner I need forgiveness I confess that you are Lord I 
believe in my heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. You gave your life. Now I want to give you my life. Change me today. Make me new. shame to sin than anything or anybody else. God wants to move in you. God wants freedom for you. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Not that you could go back to the yoke of slavery. In the room today, no matter how small, how big, You've got something you need to confess to the Lord today. You're not confessing to me. I'm nobody. But just a, a mouthpiece for God. You need to confess to the Lord today so that you can walk in freedom. Everybody's looking around at you. Confess you today. Would you just slip up your hand? Father, I love you. I believe that I can live the blessed life. God, I've got a heart after you. I want you. I want all that you have for me. Lord, if there's sin in my life, show me. Bring conviction to me so that I can move out of the situation and be free believe that you're my protector you're my healer your loving kindness surrounds me and today I choose to be free I choose to walk in freedom hallelujah in Jesus name family would you just lift up your hands for a moment we're free to do that just tell the Lord how good he is thank him for freedom today God I thank you for freedom I praise you, Jesus. Thank you, God, that my sins are forgiven. They're covered. They're not counted against me. Lord, I thank you that you choose to not remember my mistakes. I thank you, Lord, for that freedom. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just take a moment your own way there at your seat. If you want to come to the altar, you're welcome to do that. Wherever you want to pray, just spend some time with the Lord.
feeling, feeling our heart, feeling our mind, feeling our emotions. freedom. And I pray that your people would live the blessed life. The life that you have for them. God, I thank you for the shouts of deliverance that are singing out over them. God, as they walk out the doors of this building, Father, I thank you for your loving kindness that's surrounding them. Father, I pray that you would bless them and keep them. Give them grace and peace. Let your face shine on them. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I love you dearly. Thank you so much for being a part of the family, being here today. Wednesday night, we should finish up our series on Whisper. Uh, should be, I think this is the last week finish that up. Love to see you here. Our kids are also going to be uh, meeting. They're going to be starting something a little different on Wednesday night. So if you got some kids somewhere around, it's going to almost be like a Wednesday night, midweek VBS in a way. Um, so we'd love for them to come be a part of that. It's going to be a great thing. And of course, our youth will be meeting as well. God bless you. I love you. Hope you have a wonderful Independence Day. <laughs>